0: Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates LLC, a registered investment advisor.
1: This is the Retirement and IRA show coming to you from beautiful Northern Colorado. Join us as Certified Financial Planner Jim Saulnier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein. Teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans. And estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's Jim, H E L P S.com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now, here's Jim and Chris with today's show.
2: Welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show Q&A edition for this week. It's uh, I've got a fresh batch of questions for you today. I know Jim already warned me we have maybe multiple Social Security questions, but we'll see what he chooses to throw our way here momentarily. Um, I probably don't have anything else to say other than bring Jim on and we can see if we can dive into some questions and get through a nice selection for everyone out there. I want to thank everybody who sends in questions, because that's kind of what makes the show work. So keep that up. And uh, Jim, welcome. Thanks for joining wow. me, since you're the carrier of the questions.
3: Car- carrier, the keeper of the questions. Mm-hmm. But uh, you just sent this right over to me. No, no remarks about your vacation. Well, actually, you probably already did that on the last show on your vacation. It just feels so weird that this is the first time we recorded the Q&A show, also in like two, two and a half weeks. Um, With that in mind, folks, I'm going to get to two new questions of the week, one from this week and one from last week when you weren't here. Exciting. (laughs) Tons of exciting stuff here on the Retirement and IRA Show. And I'm looking forward to weekend. By the time you all listen to this, it's already Saturday or beyond. For Chris and I, it's still Friday morning, as a matter of fact, we're recording this early. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to get out of work. I'm trying to get out of work at 4 o'clock today. So hopefully that will happen. Okay. So we will begin the show, as we always do, with some social security questions. Let me see if I can open them up here because I save them on my computer now. Would have been much easier if I had them on paper, I admit. Okay.
2: You can still do that.
3: I know. I know. But then I got to print them. It's a pain now. All righty. Trying to see if they gave a hint. No hint on this one. It's probably because it came in at the uh, helpwithmysocialsecurity.com website that you blog on every now and then. Mm -hmm. Um, And we ask people how they found the website. and Sometimes they'll say from your podcast, but this one just says website search. So they probably don't even know that their question is going to be answered on the podcast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They
3: don't even know we have a podcast. But... um, I will have Jacob read out, reach out to them and, and let them know. Or maybe you could turn this question into a podcast answer. Uh, I mean, a, uh, a blog, blog post. answer. Yeah, maybe. It'll be on there for her. Okay, so we're going to call this person Georgette. She, of course, if she's listening, has no idea why we're doing that. But um, anyways, this came in through helpwithmysocialsecurity.com. There is no hint for her stake because she doesn't even know that that goes on. And she's from the state of Washington. Okay. So her question is this, Chris. My husband passed away in September of 2020. At that time, his Social Security income was about $1,300 a month. He claimed at 62. My birthday is in April of 62. My next year earned income. I think she means next year. Next year, my earned income from a part-time job will be $28,000. My questions. I'd like to claim my survivor benefit in January of 2024. What will my benefit be? Uh, FYI, she said, I'm holding off on claiming my own because it will be bigger than his. She's going to wait till 70 on her own, Chris. Mm -hmm. Her second question. I continue to make the same earned income for the next, I will continue to make the same earned income for the next five years. Does it make sense for me to wait until I stop working due to the earnings test? She never says what, oh, 28000 a year. She makes 28000 a year part time. Should she continue working or wait until she reaches her full retirement age to absolve her from the income test?
2: Okay. So that's her question? Or questions? Well, I guess she's there got were a two couple questions. in there. Yeah.
3: What's yeah. what's her benefit going to be okay. and then should she take it, even though she's earning twenty eight thousand a year and will for the next five years? Yeah.
2: So what will the benefit be? Um I think that'll be boring for people for me to you know, walk through it verbally. I've got to, there's several moving parts here. So let me just describe what factors will contribute to what her benefit will be. So she is eligible or about to become eligible for a, um, um, su- uh, survivor benefits. So sometimes called a widow or widower, uh, benefit. And that's because her husband was collecting 1285 a month. She has the right to collect what he was collecting with a couple of adjustments. First of all, for her to collect 100% of what he was collecting as a survivor benefit, she has to wait to to her full retirement age. So her full retirement age is going to be 67. Uh, she was born in 1962, full retirement age 67. So if she claims a survivor benefit or a her own benefit before that time, her full retirement age trigger... It's going to be reduced. So there's on one hand, there's a reduction that is going to be applied to that 1285. The good news is since he claimed at 62, she's likely to benefit from a special rule in social security that tries to protect spouses where their deceased spouse has claimed at a really young age, age 62, being the first age, the earliest age at which he could have claimed his benefit. And his benefit was reduced uh, because he claimed it at 62. I have no idea uh, when he was born, what his age was. Or I either didn't write it down, or maybe she didn't give us that piece, so I can't tell you precisely how much it was reduced, but I don't want to go into the numbers too much, because I think that'll get confusing for people. But she's likely to benefit from a a special rule called the, called the R-I-B-L-I-M rule. It's a It's a way to... Uh, uh, reduce the harm of him having claimed as early as 62 for her benefit as a survivor. So on one hand, there's that bump that's likely to come, an increase, but then there's the decrease because she's claiming before her full retirement age. To get the actual benefit, your best bet is to simply contact Social Security and ask them, what is my, if I claim in January, February, whatever it might be, What will my benefit be if I claim the survivor benefit from my deceased spouse? And they'll have it all in their system. It'll take them two seconds to pull it up and tell you. You can um, call them. You can... um, go in to to talk to them if the office in your area is open for face-to-face, which I think pretty much all of them are now. Some require appointments, others you can do walk-ins. But one way or another, if you contact them, they should be able to share with you what that benefit might be. So there's the simplest answer with, I guess, a little little couple tidbits about what affects the benefit you might get from your deceased spouse's record. On the second question, if she's earning money at $28,000 a year, those longtime listeners and those familiar with Social Security know that there's something called the earnings test. The earnings test applies to anyone who's receiving benefits below their full retirement age. Again, she's planning to claim well below her full retirement age of 67 the earnings test states that if you earn above a certain amount while simultaneously collecting Social Security, they're going to reduce your Social Security benefits $1 for every $2 or $1 for every $3 in certain cases um, uh, above a certain limit if your earnings are above that limit. For 2023, that limit is twenty one thousand two hundred and forty dollars. It increases with inflation, the cost of living adjustments, uh, and you know similar uh, to those. It will increase every year. So in twenty twenty four, when she claims the earnings limit is going to likely be higher than it is today. Uh, for comparison, it was nineteen five sixty in twenty twenty two. So it's up to twenty one two forty in twenty twenty three, and it'll go up each time there's a, a inflation factor added to it. And uh, so she is likely to uh, have a reduction because her earnings are above that earnings test, a reduction due to that. Now, she asks, you know, would it make sense for her to wait until she stops working? No, in her case, because any dollars she leaves behind that she does not claim as she is waiting to claim her own benefit at age 70 are dollars that she'll never get back. Uh unlike her own benefits, where if she were to wait until she stops working, um, she would get an increase in the benefit due to that weight. Uh, and they would make her whole for any offset that she experienced due to the earnings test um, uh, or adjustment. And I'm not going to go too deeply into that because that would be an answer unto itself. Uh, the survivor benefit if you lose it due to you know anything due to the earnings test it doesn't come back but she's not staying on the survivor benefit forever she should try to harvest as much as possible of survivor benefits which she's likely to get some if her earnings are only about 28000 a year it's not such a high amount as to completely wipe out the survivor benefit i think she should be collecting the dollars as much as she can until she switches to her own benefit uh, I don't think that the, the, the math would work out in her favor if she were to wait a few years, thus, on one hand, not experiencing the reduction to the same degree by claiming earlier than her full retirement age. You might be out there saying, well, wait, if she waits, not only does she avoid the earnings test, she's going to get a higher um, survivor benefit, but because the time horizon, the length of time she'll be collecting that survivor benefit is so short, it's only till age 70, the break-even point is well beyond that for um, delaying the collecting. So it's possible the math would work out where it would make sense for her to wait. I would need a few more details and we'd have to crunch some numbers, which is difficult for me to do on the fly here with so many moving parts in a case like this because here we've got the R-I-B-L-I-M, we've got early claiming, we've got earnings test. I've been practicing Social Security for a long time. I'm not quite good enough for that to just spontaneously uh, be calculated in my brain. So, um, but But my gut, having seen enough of these similar cases... Uh, is telling me that it's likely in her best interest to claim as soon as uh, possible and to call or contact Social Security to find out what that benefit might be. And if she claims, make sure she's very clear that she only wants to claim the survivor benefit and then change switch to her own at a later date, maybe age 70 when it's the largest. Um, she could switch over to her own benefit and um, be paid to wait. This is a way where she could collect something in the form of the survivor benefit, whatever it might end up being, as she's waiting to claim her larger benefit at age 70 for the rest of her life. So hopefully that helps out, even though it doesn't, I didn't give her the a, a dollar amount of the benefit, um, but um I do think it would, given these numbers, make sense for her to go ahead and pull the trigger and collect, even if it's going to be offset a bit by the earnings test.
3: All righty, long answer, but very thorough. answer. Yeah, there's just a lot, a, of, lot
2: a lot of lot of moving parts in this particular yep, one. Yep, it seems yep. like a simple question at face value, but there's just several things, you know, positives and negatives and choices in here that are a little unique.
3: Well, we'll reach out to her and let her know. Like I said, it went in through the website and she didn't even, I don't think she knows that there's a podcast. So uh, Jacob will reach out to her and let her know, and hopefully she'll be able to hear her answer. Okay. All righty. Next question. (laughs) I like the hint on this one. Um, Hi, Jim and Chris. I live in the state that is shaped like a pot of the human anatomy. But the answer is not Florida. That would be obscene.
2: I <laughs> mean, I'm, I I'm obscene it. because that's right where my mind it must, went. That's
3: what I thought too. <laughs> it was okay. Florida, um, but uh, no, not Florida. So it's the state and then itself. I had no clue on the next one. It and should, then I had to read her answer, like yeah.
2: a part of the human anatomy. Um. Well, we've had one recently that didn't. Didn't somebody point out to us and we learned that Michigan is called the the mitten state or the glove state or something like that so because it kind of looks like a hand? Um, because we, heard, we ran into that so recently, that's kind of the next thing that's popping into my mind since we're not going to go down the Florida route.
3: And you are correct. She said the answer is Michigan. It's a hand or mitten. Mitten, yeah. But uh, I I didn't get that one. I didn't remember that whole thing. But yeah, we did get a hint on that being a mitten. You're right. But uh, yeah, Florida was the first thing that popped into my mind. And then I was like, God, I can't think of any other (laughs) state that's shaped like a... Yeah,
2: if we hadn't had that hint earlier about the mitten uh, state, I I don't think I would have figured out Michigan.
3: Okay, very good. Michigan, here's her question. I am 67 years old and plan to wait until 70 to turn on Social Security. But I keep hearing on the news that Congress wants to raise the full retirement age of Social Security to 70. I am afraid that they will raise it to 70 and I will have wasted waiting those three years. In other words, I will receive the same amount per month at 70 that I would than if I started at 67. What is your advice on continuing to wait until 70 in this political climate?
2: Uh, First, I'll say I haven't heard any reputable sources that are proposing an age 70 full retirement age anytime soon, if ever, certainly on the table. Uh, are have, and for many years this has been going on as as they're with, they've been discussing solutions to the Social Security issue, meaning the the math, the inflow outflow of Social Security is not sustainable at its current structure, and um, uh, raising the retirement age or the full retirement age specifically is a way to help that math, but to seventy, particularly in soon enough that would affect someone who's sixty seven that's in my opinion no way going to happen because something as drastic as raising the the full retirement age which has happened twice in the past full retirement age was 65 then it became 66 and then it's been transitioned to 67 but most people listening to this were alive during the era when they realized that they, you know, either were slightly before in the middle of or or after this transition from age 66 to 67 as full retirement age and a whole bunch of people everyone as close as he's talking about who's already 67 everybody who is already of claiming age when they instituted that was completely unscathed by that. This was a a change that was applied to much younger people. I expect that to be the case as well if they, in fact, do move down the road of changing the full retirement age for Social Security. So the, the younger you are, the greater the chance that a change this drastic might be implemented. But age 67, in my opinion, is well old enough to be safe from that kind of change. That doesn't mean everyone who's of of claiming age, like he is, claiming age being age 62 or older, isn't um, possibly going to be affected by changes of Social Security down the road. I think they'll be more subtle. There won't be fundamental changes for those people because, you know, out of fairness, someone who's already at the end of their career going on Social Security they have no time left in their lives to change or adapt to a new retirement system. They were planning on and relying on the system as it currently works. And so to pull the rug out from under them at a time in their lives when they can't make up the difference by changing behavior, working longer, doing things like that, I, that that's just, um, uh, uh not on the table. Um, uh, In my opinion, you know, Congress can do anything they want, but I think that would be extraordinarily unpopular, but that doesn't mean you're completely immune to changes. I think the changes that all of us might experience of any age would be tweaking of the Social Security cost of living adjustments um, tweaking of earnings test rules, maybe uh, some form of means testing down the road where your social security benefits might uh the taxability of it might be adjusted due to level of earnings you know changing how that's treated i think there's some little you know marginal changes for someone who's 67 or older might experience down the road but not a pull the rug out from under you, by the way, you know, you're, suddenly your full retirement age is 70. So the, the, uh, that, that's effectively reducing their potential benefit at age 70 by 25%. Talk about a slap in the face for someone who's at the end of their working career. I just don't see that happening. So
3: Yeah, um, I totally agree. Uh, they will definitely grandfather they are yeah. not going to yeah. uh, change someone who's that age. Sorry, you got to wait three more years. Right. They're not going to do that. No. Is changing the retirement age to 70 from 67 something they may do? Very much so, but it's going to impact people in their 20s and 30s and teens, or maybe even people who aren't even born yet. Yeah, But it's not going to be something that they're going to go after do you want but you just see the headline i'm going to make a few cautions here first don't make decisions of your finances in wearing political glasses the the politics in this country is dividing us and i think it's by design divide and conquer as the saying goes And it seems you're going to have one side and believe in one side. And if your side is in power, you're going to think all good is going to happen. And the other side is is just vilified and they're evil and they should be all put to death. I mean, that's an extreme example. But don't let you think that, oh, this party's in, they're going to screw me over. I got to wait for my party to get in, then they're going to protect me. The problems of Social Security transcend politics, and it's going to be bipartisan for sure. Now, political parties will try to use the Social Security issue to gain favor and win votes. But when the rubber hits the road and Congress starts to deal with this and they're going to have to um, over the next decade, meaning to me, they'll wait to the very end because then they'll make it a crisis. And then they can jam things through easier under the crisis umbrella. But over the next decade, changes will happen. I don't see them happening anytime soon. But don't base your decisions off of politics. Don't assume one party is out to screw you and the other party is never going to screw you. That's the only thing that I would caution there. If you are 67 or even me at 60, I don't fear any changes that they may come in, I don't think they're going to impact me. Now, the change in 83, when they raised their retirement age to 67, that did impact me. But I was 20 years old. I wasn't even paying attention to this and didn't even know this was happening. And back then I would have said, oh, okay, I, to me at 20, I'm never going to hit 67 anyways. It's so far in the future. Right. I'm never going to get that age. I'm going to stay young and 20 and healthy forever. That's how we thought. And it most likely would be that way as well. So I wouldn't make any rash decisions. The only other thing that I wanted to add to Chris's list of not necessarily changes in the retirement age, you don't have to worry about, listener. But the peripheral things, yes. Means testing, as Chris said, absolutely. I think the 15% of Social Security that is currently not taxed, that will get dragged in and taxed as well. Remember, in 83 was when they first started taxing Social Security, and they taxed 50% of it. And then 10 years later, under the Clinton administration, he taxed up to 85% of it. There's still 15% of Social Security that's not taxed. I could see them dragging that in, and that may impact you, but that's just going to be a tax issue. So anyways, I just wanted to agree with you on there but add my little two cents. Okay. Sounds good. All right, that's it for social security. So now we're going to get into regular questions and I thought a good regu- a good bridge if you will to go from social security questions to regular retirement related questions would be Irma. It seems that Irma hmm. is kind of lives it's the Venn diagram of financial planning. It's pot social security, pot financial planning. And see, see how I did that? And see how that Fancy. Venn diagram? Mm-hmm. You like that, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know good. if I like
2: it, but I, <laughs> I see what you're doing there.
3: <laughs> and where they overlap, that's that's Irma. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have an Irma question, which is pretty much going to go to you. But we have an Irma question. Um, oh, she didn't give a hint. Oh, this. if you get this one wrong, you're just faking it okay you you would be faking it if you get this one wrong <laughs> i live in the state that has a city that never sleeps mm.
2: and it's not sleepless in seattle
3: it's not sleepless in seattle <laughs> i enjoyed
2: that movie when it came out um well of course that's new york thanks you know frank sinatra pointed that all out to us right Absolutely. A city that never New sleeps, York. So it's got to be New York State.
3: She's in New York. Yeah, right? she's talking about really? New York City. Okay, dear Jim and Chris, I love your show and so grateful I found it two years ago. I'm confused. Well, so am I. Let's see if Chris can help us. <laughs> I'm confused as to how many times I can file Form SSA 44 for the work reduction exemption from Irma. So the SSA 44, folks, is the form that you will file if you have a life-altering event that can exempt you from IRMA surcharges on your Medicare. I don't want to get too deep into it. We could do a whole show. We could do a whole series, a whole week on IRMA if we had to. I'm confused as to how many times I can file SSA 44 for the work reduction exemption so I can base Medicare premiums on the current tax year income. I plan to retire in March of 2025. Am I correct to believe that I can file SSA 44 for the years 2025, 2026, and also 2027 if my 2027 income is less than I earned in 2025? My social security, I'm trying to see. I was trying to skip over things, but I think what she wrote might be important. So I'll continue. Less than I earned in 2025 since I will be living on cash and I'm not subject to RMDs yet since I won't be 70 until 2027. Um, if she is 70 in 2027, you won't be subject to RMDs then either. Right. Listener, RMDs have been uh, pushed to 73. Keep that in mind. My Social Security received in 2027 will be less than my last few months of salary I earned in 2025.
2: Okay. So she's asking how many times um, she can file SSA 44. From what she described, I don't think there's a need to file it multiple times, but there's no limit as to how many times you can file SSA 44. So to backtrack a little, IRMA is the income-related monthly adjustment amount, or what we oftentimes refer to as a Medicare premium surcharge, where based on your modified adjusted gross income, which is a specific measure for IRMA, um, you might pay higher Medicare premiums for your Part B and Part D uh, plans once you're on Medicare. It's all based on your uh, income, your modified adjusted gross income what i call maggie so the life-changing events that jim referred to that allows them to or or allows you to request that they use current income information rather than income information from two years ago which is the standard methodology for determining irma in other words in 2023, where we are now, those on Medicare, your Medicare premiums for 2023 are based on your MAGI from 2021, two tax years prior. I won't go into the reasons for it. That's just how it is. So there's a lot of people who transition. They're working and then they retire. So they go on to Medicare and now they're paying a premium for for Medicare based on earnings two years ago when they were earning a ton of money at the end of their um careers and but now they're not they're they're not so social security realized that that would be inherently unfair congress did and and said well let's if, if that's the case we will instead of using income from 2 years ago we'll use income from now an income estimate and then we'll reconcile it if you were wrong they'll they'll you know take your word for it at first but then they'll double check it and adjust if it's different Those life-changing events that will trigger this consideration are marriage. So if you get married, you've gotten married since two years ago, or divorced. That's the second one. It's not, you know, that's not one life-changing event. They separate marriage and divorce. I just think it's, you know, two sides to the same activity, but those are two. Death of your spouse is a third one. Work stoppage or reduction, which is the one she mentions, which is generally, people look at it as retirement, but it doesn't have to be that you're fully retired. Loss of income-producing property, which isn't you sell your rental property, but rather it's stolen from you or destroyed in a natural disaster or something like that. Loss of pension income is the sixth one. And then employer settlement payment, that you received some kind of settlement payment and that's skewing your 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 Maggie uh, calculation. So those seven, and you might be looking at that list, thinking, well, in any person's life, they might experience one of those more than once. A work reduction, they could reduce. Maybe you start out with a very high paying job that keeps you up in a the a really high tier, and then you go halftime, but even halftime still puts you in a maybe the third tier of social of Irma, and then finally you fully retire. So you'd, you'd have kind of two life-changing events at each one of those step-downs of your income. You could, in, all mixed in there, also get married, you know, part of there. So the point is there's no limit as to how many times you can file SSA 44, but there may not be every one of these events may not actually change your IRMA calculation. All you're doing, it, this, these reasons, these life-changing events aren't a get-out-of-jail-free card for IRMA. It isn't, oh, I had one of these, so I don't have to pay IRMA. That is not it. What you're allowed to do is ask them to just consider more recent income information to make the IRMA determination instead of using income information from two years ago. That's all you're doing with an SSA 44. So if one of these happened and your income is lower than it was two years ago, that's when you'll get relief and they won't zero out your IRMA. They'll just calculate the IRMA based on your more recent income information that you provide to them. So in in this case, going back to this particular listener's question they submitted, sounds like they're retiring in 2025. They're worried about IRMA that's going to be applied maybe in 2026 and 2027 both. Well, they've got that set where you could file SSA 44 one time and likely capture both of those years in there. But at worst, you might have to file it twice if if they, they, they can't kind of bundle it together on the SSA-44. I've had mixed reviews as to success from people using the SSA-44. Some people have filed it once and had the two years in question all taken care of. Other people had to file it a second time to get IRMA relief. But the income reduction in 2025... Should based on and I don't have all the dollar amounts, but based on what she's uh, describing here or, or or he, I wasn't paying attention. Um, the uh, listener should get relief in 2026 and in 2027 due to the work reduction, aka retirement, in 2025. In other words, if the income in 2026 and 2027 truly is lower enough than it was in 2025 while you were still working, they will use income estimates that you provide for 26 and 27 to give you IRMA. 2028, it's not gonna matter because 2028 will naturally be based on the 2026 income, which is after the retirement date for this person. So at most, you'll have to fire the SSA twice, but I bet you'll be able to, um, if they set it right in the system, you should be able to, get relief for both twenty-six and twenty-seven on a single SSA forty-four filing. But like I said, I've had mixed reviews, mixed feedback as to success with people doing that. So they often have to have to file it a second time when they get the notice for their twenty twenty-seven Medicare premiums. They'll notice, wait a minute, they're charging me IRMA again. I guess I gotta file the SSA forty four again. And you do that and it's it's not Painful. Um, sometimes there's a timing issue. In other words, you can't file the SSA 44 until you get the Medicare premium estimate in late, you know, late in the fall when they send it out when they're telling you in December, uh, when you will what you'll be paying in the upcoming year for Medicare, you have to receive the notice that you're going to be affected by Irma before you can appeal it before you can ask for relief. So many times you'll pay that higher premium for a couple of months, January and February of the year in question before they process your SSA 44 request, but they'll refund you the money. They'll give they'll give it back to you. So, um, it'll all work out in the wash, but that's a bit of an annoyance just from a timing standpoint you should be aware of, I think, I think that answers the question. Uh, for this person. It
3: does. I just wanted to add one thing when you mm-hmm. said it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card right. because I do call it that at times and I just want to point out how I use that verbiage and you you, you can uh, say, oh yeah, yeah, that's right, or, or no, Jimmy, you're an idiot and here's why. And I prefer the latter, not the former. <laughs> or would I perform the former, not the latter? I always get confused on that. But anyways...
2: The latter is the, the later one. Think of that. The second thing you mentioned is the latter. Former is the first one.
3: Oh, so I would prefer the former, not the latter.
2: I, I don't remember in what order you <laughs> described it now, but probably.
3: The, the latter was you calling me an idiot. So. Okay,
2: yeah, we want to probably avoid that.
3: I, I want the former one. All right, all right, folks. Here's my take on how SSA 44 could be considered a get-out-of-jail free card a massive Roth conversion in the year you stop working.
2: It is, it can be seen as a get out of jail free card for um, completely avoiding. This is where the get out of jail free comes in. Cause free to me means you completely avoid something, a Roth conversion that would otherwise create extra Irma for you might be completely avoided if the timing is done right with one of these life-changing events. And so in that narrower context, not a completely get-out-of-all-jail, but getting out of that jail, um, free Tax jail, that's how I look Text at jail, it. Tax jail, free it, card. Yeah, in I the think year of I think it's okay to use it that. But people, when when you people hear that or say that, they have to understand that it's not a cover all bases regarding Irma, it's going to zero out anything as long as they, I have one of these events, I'm, I'm free and clear. Uh, no, that's not quite how it works.
3: No, I get that. Mm-hmm. But the theory there, folks, is, especially if you end up doing a massive conversion, that would theoretically push you into the third, fourth, or even fifth tier of Irma. So we're talking big conversion here. And that can be substantial surcharges on your Medicare premiums. It's not going to escape the income taxes owed on the conversion, but for one reason or another, it makes sense to convert, especially with taxes going up in just a couple of more years. People might want to say, gosh, I want to get this conversion in the lower tax bracket, Uh, especially 2025, the last year before the, the tax cuts expire, January 1st of 2026. If it's timed with you leaving employment, You could still file form SSA 44 at that time, even though you did a massive conversion, and you won't get the IRMA surcharge, assuming your income is lower than it was with the massive conversion uh, when the time comes, and and I'm guessing it would be. So that's just how I view it as a get out of jail free card. That's all. It's mm-hmm.
2: yeah, very narrow okay. focus,
3: but yeah. that's how I look at it. There is a get out of jail free card. Do this big conversion because you have the right to file SSA 44. It actually applies to you and, and you can go on from there. Okay. So the next question literally came in 40 minutes ago while you, while we were recording. God. Yeah, and because I do it all on on my i i not my iPad but my laptop but through Outlook, I saw this email come in and I read it and I thought, you know what? I think I'll do this as the new one of the new questions of the week. Well, I had two new week- question of the day.
2: Let's talk about real time.
3: <laughs> this, yeah, this person's lucky. I mean, it just worked out that way that it came in this week. I, I had a question that I had chosen from this week as a new question of the week, and I'll see if I can get to it if I can shut up. And um, this one is pretty good because it kind of ties into the EDU show that we had just did, the Tupac EDU on the question from, from the woman who feels she needs to be conservative and the husband wants to spend. And we, we talked about the fund number and all that whole thing, Chris. So I thought this this... There is no answer to his question. There is opinions. This is going to be more of the art, not the science of financial planning. But it is something that Chris and I see repeatedly. Not all the time. Not everyone experiences what this man is experiencing. But it is not uncommon. And it is a real thing. And honestly, because most of you are Vanguard, VG's. You do it yourself, asset management engineer type personalities with your money at Vanguard or some other low cost index provider. Generally, you may be falling into his situation as well. And that's why I wanted to jump it. Um, He does give a hint. I had to uh, Google this. It's what I thought it was but I wasn't sure. So I don't want to say I guessed it because I did have to Google it, but you sit on your fingers and no Googling. He said, I live in the state. That was the first state that ratified the 13th Amendment to the Constitution that abolished slavery in 1865.
2: Hmm. The first state to ratify. First
3: state to ratify.
2: Is it give me one little hint? Is it like a bizarre thing I never would have guessed?
3: No, if you actually think through 1865, what happened in 1865, and why this state was probably the first in honor of someone, there's the hint. Illinois? You will probably guess Illinois. Yeah, Illinois. Yeah, um, because of Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. That's what I thought, but I Googled it just to be sure. So he's from Illinois, and he writes to us, Chris, literally 40 minutes ago. I'm 68, and my wife is 70. He gets into a little bit about their finances. That doesn't matter. He does share. He still works, not because they need the money, but because he enjoys it, and he said, most of the time. And he said, they keep increasing my yearly bonus in an effort to keep me here to keep teaching the younger employees. Okay, he has not claimed Social Security yet. And he has not started Medicare yet because he is covered by an employer plan that's exempt. um, So that's fine. Uh, He then gets through his, his assets and they have a couple million dollars. And he goes on to say, on your August 11th show, it started to make me think I am still accumulating. I can't get my mindset due to extreme poverty in my youth and up until I was 30 when I finally made a breakthrough to spend money. How do I transition to what you call go-go? I can't trust others to take care of my accumulation. How do I do it? Where do I start? To me, what he's asking is he's saying, I've got this wealth. And he does, folks. He's got over $3 million in net worth. He can't bring himself to spending it. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not fully retired. He doesn't make clear if he's working full-time or part-time um, at the firm where they're trying to entice him through bonuses to keep training younger employees. He freely admits he enjoys it. So he never shared with us that. His wife, who's already retired and two years older than him, wants to start doing go-go fun things. He doesn't share a lot of that. So I have to make some assumptions that maybe that is the case. Maybe he is working part-time. So he has free time and he's got millions, north of three million, and he can't bring himself to sell anything. He's still in the accumulation mindset because mm-hmm. he grew up in extreme poverty. And now he has this wealth and he can't bring himself to spend it. Perhaps his wife, who has been retired and is older, wants to go do things. Similar scenario in the the uh, EDU show that Chris and I did with that question from uh, a couple who were in their early 60s. How do you do that? Listener, the, the answer at least... From my standpoint, Chris may have other things to offer. I can guarantee you uh, if you go on something like the, the Bogle form or whatever it's called and ask that question there, you'll get hundreds of different answers on how to bring yourself to spend. It's an emotional issue being driven by your background. Yes, but also the same thing I tried to share on my answer on the EDU show. There's no clarity. You're seeing $3 million of net worth, but you can't see into it. You're hesitant to spend money out of fear because you grew up in poverty and you wonder, will I need this later? I truly believe, not just our approach. Yes, I'm biased because I like what I call the fun number approach to retirement planning. But what you really need to do is start looking through your portfolio, get out of the accumulation mindset, and that's going to have to be a decision you make. You're just going to do it. My back, as I have said, has been killing me lately. It's finally starting to feel a little better, and I go for imaging next week, Chris. But the doctor and Rachel have been hounding me to stretch, do core stretching, strengthen the center of my body. And it's just, yeah, 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 whatever. But I have to do it. And it's a mindset. And I'm trying to get me to do it. It's just like when I gave up Cheez-Its. I was addicted to Cheez-Its like crack cocaine. Oh, my God, I would suck those three-pound boxes from Costco like crazy. Jeez, it's so good. Keep them away from me. I have a, a weakness. But it took a mindset, Chris, for me to finally just say enough. Stop eating these cheeses. You're eating them too much. They're refined flour. They're not good for you. So it, it took a while, but I did it. Same thing with adding far more vegetables to my diet about eight years ago. Now I love vegetables. I, I hate not eating six or seven different vegetables for dinner. I throw a protein in there just because I think I have to. But I love eating vegetables. But it was a mindset. It took discipline. You have to get into that mindset that you're not going to be here forever. You're not going to have the ability to enjoy fun forever. So you have to start trying to spend money. How do you do that? First step. Stop treating yourself as if you're 30. You said you had an epiphany at 30 and started to spend money when you finally, I guess, started realizing you were making money. You were no longer poor. You had that epiphany. You need to have another epiphany. You are not in the accumulation phase anymore. You're in the transition phase because you haven't stopped working. You didn't indicate to us if your salary is full-time, part-time, and covering all your expenses or not. But you are, in my opinion, the transitional phase. You're not in your 30s, 40s, 50s anymore. You're not truly in a distribution phase, I don't think, because you do have additional income coming in. Hence, I'm saying you're in the transitional phase. But you have to stop looking at your portfolio and applying distribution rules, not accumulation rules. There's no light switch to do that. It is a lifestyle change, just like me with Cheez-Its and vegetables and back stretches which I still haven't fully adopted yet. And it's baby steps, it's a little at a time. It's forcing myself to do a stretch. I do the, the cat and cow, and I do this thread the needle thing, and she's got all these little cool names for these yoga poses. But it's supposed to help my back, so I'm trying it. Getting your portfolio or viewing your assets through a see-through portfolio is gonna do for you What the cat and cow and Thread the Needle is supposed to do for my back. And it's going to take a lifestyle choice on your behalf and my behalf to do it. And once you make that decision... Then you have to do the calculations. You have to start looking in there, determining what your minimum dignity floor needs are. Whether or not you want to cover minimum dignity floor with lifetime secure income, Social Security, pension, or income annuities, that's going to be up to you. Chris and I concede that with our clients all the time. Our favor... favorite approach would be for our clients to cover it with lifetime guaranteed secure income for all the reasons we list on the podcast. But we know that's just not going to happen with everyone. They just don't want to do it that way. But they still, in order to get their fun number that they can spend on go-go, they still want us to do the calculation of how much of their dollars do they need to pull out, see through their portfolio. How much do I need to pull out not spend on fun earmark off to the side and use to cover my minimum dignity floor if they're going to cover it with lifetime withdrawals that's up to them if they don't want to use secure income but you still got to do that calculation listener and then you have to address your aging and what you and your wife want to do for that and are you going to put your very generous amount of home equity two million dollars You're going to put any of your home equity in your house towards that or towards fun. How are you going to treat it? But you still have to address aging and what portion of your assets are you going to dedicate to those? And then a guaranteed inheritance, if that's important to you, how are you going to fund that? And then, of course, a buffer or reserve just in case the older you and you're 68 and your wife is 70, but the... 88-year-old you or the 88-year-old you and 90-year-old wife in the future, that's the old you. That's what I mean. You you may sit there and say, well, I'm 68 and 70. We're not young. Well, you're young compared to the 88 and 90-year-old you and your wife. So there'll always be an older you. The buffer or reserve is to help the older you if something comes out of left field. The only dollars that are left Uh, to spend on fun. That's why I created the fun number approach. Remember the story, the people who had ample secure income and were holding off buying a teardrop camper for three years because they had just bought the pickup truck that they were going to use to pull the teardrop camper to visit every national park in the lower 48. But they felt, wow, we just spent so much money on this truck. we got to let our portfolio recover. That's what kicked me in the hiney to come up with this philosophy. And then I explained it to the people. And as I told you, they bought the teardrop camper that winter and started their trip. That's what you need to do, listener. You need to start looking at your assets, not as an accumulation, but as a distribution. And then if you believe in our approach, see through that portfolio, put the money aside for a minimum dignity floor, food, utilities, stage, housing, and health care. Aging, which to me is just as important as minimum dignity floor. Guaranteed inheritance, a buffer reserve, The only dollars left, those are your fun. Maybe if you got that budget, listener, and knew all those other assets are left, all those other assets can still be growing and accumulating, you might be more comfortable spending on fun with those remaining assets with you and your wife while you still have the health inclination, desire, and ability otherwise known as the go-go phase, because this is it. There is no more going back. We know how life ends. We're not 30 when you had your first epiphany. You're not 40. You're not 50. You're soon to be 70 and then 80s, and I'm 60 now. I know I'm not getting any younger, hence my desire to overcome my boredom of stretching and trying to get my life to change so I can help my back. You have to change your approach to your assets. Anyways, that's my thoughts, Chris. Do you have any?
2: Um, I have a few. I I do completely support the idea that getting more clarity on your situation can really help because I think what provides a lot of angst for people is they don't have enough clarity on their financial situation to realize how much of their nest egg. You said he had 3 million plus or something, how much of that might be uh, readily available for purely discretionary spending. Um, Getting to that point helps a lot. I will point out even getting to that point doesn't guarantee this feeling will go away. There are so many people that have lived so long like this. It's just part of their being at this point that it can be a struggle still. So even if you put a plan together that you, that you do yourself or you have someone help you with uh, and adding a lot of clarity to your situation, you might still be hesitant to do what you're going to do. I would say that um, you know really pushing for that epiphany is a good idea and maybe writing on your bathroom mirror, somebody's going to spend this money and seeing it every morning when you get up looking at it, because that's the truth, that that someone's going to spend it. And while you're in control of it, you can determine who that is. And if you want to continue working indefinitely and have that be someone else, that's your prerogative. But you can't take it with you. And knowing that it will be spent, you're now just making a choice. You're, it's not really a spend it or not spend it question, because it will be spent by someone. The question then becomes, if it's going to be spent anyway, why not on me, the person who accumulated this in the first place? That I've found sometimes can help if people really let that sink in. But it's it can be a challenge. I run into people regularly doing plans and and even just in my personal life talking to people that struggle with this exact thing Even when they have good clarity on their situation and they fully admit they have plenty of money and and they say, it's weird. I, even though I know I've got plenty of money, I just can't bring myself to do it. And, and that is too bad. That is too bad, but it is what it is. And if you're happy going to work, sounds like you're being fulfilled, doing what you're doing and you're healthy enough to do it. And, and you're able to do some fun things that you like doing. There's no rule or law that says you have to go out and spend this money, even if it makes you feel nauseous doing it. But for most people, so on that note, there's still most people, I think, can get themselves to the point of spending money on rewarding things and whatever that might be for you, whether it's travel or hobbies or spending more time with your spouse or family, maybe not spending so much on you, bringing family to see you and having family experiences can be very rewarding. Um, most people can get to the point of of uh, uh, doing that um, with enough clarity of their situation. They can, they finally, the, the angst doesn't go away completely, but it gets manageable enough where they can overcome it with some conscious thought. Um, so that's, really all i wanted to add to the whole situation
3: okay fair enough do we
2: have time for more uh we have time for one more
3: Alrighty, i think you'll guess this hint because i think you like pepsi he lives in the state where pepsi was invented
2: you know when i was in my teens and 20s i was a pepsi guy
3: but i I went
2: to the dark side. Oh, I thought you were been, a
3: Pepsi. Oh, a, you're a Coke guy. I've
2: been on a Diet Coke. I knew guy you loved soda. Time, I just so. didn't
3: know which one. Okay, so you're a Coke guy. Well, yeah. anyways, he lives in the state Pepsi where Pepsi was invented. Was invented. Wow.
2: It's I bizarre have, that
3: someone actually invented Pepsi and Coke, but they did hundreds of years ago.
2: It'd have to be a wild guess for me. I'm going to say
3: Missouri. No. Uh, he claims North Carolina. He said Caleb Bradham, at his drugstore named Bradham's in New Bern, North Carolina, invented Pepsi in 1893. Hmm. I think drugstores back then were also soda fountain places, right? You went in and and did well, most that, of I the think... stuff
2: was sold as medicine first, as medicine. It true, had medicine true, true. In it, and then it the. Cocaine, heroin, heroin, morphine, all those fun things got stripped out of it, and then they decided <laughs> it still kind of tastes good, so let's sell it.
3: <laughs> so. The original name of Pepsi? Brad's Drink. Wow.
2: He needed a they marketing re- department.
3: Yeah, they renamed it Pepsi in 1898. Yeah, I, I don't think Brad's Drink would... would... <laughs> be too popular today oh can i have a brad's drink please although arnold palmer which is pretty common but but arnold had some going
2: for him maybe more than brad
3: (laughs) true people knew who arnold palmer was as opposed to who's this brad dude and why do i want his drink but anyways cute little bit of trivia there folks okay all right i appreciate your june series on annuities I turned 70 in September. My regular IRA consists of a brokerage account and two deferred annuities with well known insurance companies. And he gives the name of the insurance companies, and they are both well known. Mm-hmm. They are variable annuities, folks, I'm going to guess because both these companies he named are huge in the variable annuity realm. I opened both with a 200,000 deposit into each. Both contracts will be will uh, uh, it's late in the day on Friday, early in the day on Friday folks. sorry. Both contracts will pay an income benefit if I delay for 12 years. And the payout base at that point will double to no less than 400,000 from my initial purchase price. Let me pause this and real quickly so people know what the heck he's talking about. He's asking how is this going to impact RMD. So stop thinking that in your head. Can he combine them so you know where the answer is going? Mm-hmm. So what he has, listeners, is he has a variable annuity, I'm guessing variable, where he put the $200,000 in and he's allowed to invest that $200,000 in the sub-accounts, not mutual funds, even though they'll have mutual fund names, they're called sub-accounts inside a variable annuity. And they generally have higher fees than mutual funds, but they're called sub accounts. He can invest it and grow that wealth. And the insurance company is saying to him, hey, we're going to allow you to withdraw some of that money, your your own money in the future. We have all... We, all these rules and they'll they'll explain to him how he can figure out what he's going to be allowed to withdraw. And the deal is as long as he withdraws that amount every year and no more, if his annuity account balance reaches zero and he's still kicking, the insurance company will continue to pay him until he dies. That's called a living benefit and it's a withdrawal benefit. But his annuities, which is very common, have this other enticement, if you will. And the insurance companies say, and both insurance companies said, if in 12 years your account balance is, hasn't at least doubled to 400000 over here off to the side, we have a pretend account balance. It's usually called the income base. I call it the pretend account because it's not money you can touch. But when it comes time for you to withdraw money, the insurance company is going to use as an account balance either your actual account balance and how the subaccounts performed over the last 12 years minus the fees that the insurance company took out. I can guarantee you he's been paying 3% plus in fees every year. They will withdraw that from either the account balance or the pretend account, whatever is higher. And he has said the pretend account will be worth double what I put in in year 12 or 400,000. So if his account balance is only worth 300,000, the pretend account is guaranteed to be worth 400,000. When he turns the income on, he's going to get a percentage of the higher of those two accounts. Now, if it's the 400,000 pretend account, the money still comes from his 300,000 actual account. The pretend account is just a measuring device for figuring out the income. That's why I call it pretend because it's not real. So his question comes to this. He said, right now, my estimated um, excuse, excuse me, for example, my annuity I have had for 11 years and my account balance is $232,000. This gives you an idea, folks, at how many fees are in variable annuities if for 11 years it grew from 200 to 232. But he has a $232,000 account balance. His pretend account right now is worth 357. His pretend account grows every year until year 12, when it will be worth 400,000. So he is saying, when I begin withdrawals in 12 years, my pretend, well, he doesn't call it pretend account. My income base will be $400,000. So... Obviously, they are going to base my income payments he's saying on 400,000. Does that make sense, Chris? Not 232. Mm-hmm. They're going to base his withdrawal on 400, yeah. correct? Yep. So he's asking, many times you and Chris have said that the IRS, the IRS will consider all my IRAs as one big IRA when calculating my required minimum distribution. Since the annuity payment I will receive for the rest of my life is not only significantly larger than my account balance, because it is, his account balance is only 232, his pretend account is worth 400, but the withdrawal percentage is significantly greater than my RMD itself. Does that mean I can withdraw less from my IRA? brokerage, and I don't mean, what okay, I think what he means is he has a separate IRA folks outside of the variable annuity. Does that mean I can withdraw less from my brokerage IRA count when I get subject to RMDs three years later? The short answer is yes, and I hope I explained that. I I didn't read his whole email because it was kind of long, so I was kind of jumping around, but he has folks 232,001 IRA inside an IRA, excuse me, inside an annuity. He actually has two, he only talks about one though. It's worth $232,000. He could close it today, it's worth 232. His pretend account for income purposes next year will be 400,000. He is going to be given a percentage, a withdrawal percentage of the higher of those two accounts. Obviously, it'll be based on 400, not 232. So he will be taken by default significantly more out of that IRA than his RMD will be. First of all, your beginning RMD is about 3.7% of your account balance. Second of all, these annuities often have initial withdrawal amounts of about 4 to 6%. This annuity being 11, 12 years old, I'm guessing he's falling right around 5 ish or so percent. So he's going to be taking out significantly more percentage wise, 5 as opposed to 3.7, and 5% on 400,000, not 232,000. So he's going to be taking out significantly more than his RMD. Mm -hmm. Chris, can he use that excess to offset what he might have to take out of his non-annuity brokerage IRA?
2: He can in this case, and the the reason. And people might be saying, "Wait a minute, guys! You've told us before when you're getting annuity payments uh, that that annuity payment becomes the RMD for that account, and it can't be used as as covering RMDs from others if it were quote excessive." And that, the difference here is this annuity is not annuitized. He has a balance, assuming these are the types of annuities that, that, that Jim described. I don't have the email in front of me, but it sounds like that that's likely the case, that it's a variable annuity with an actual account balance that has an income, a living benefit, attached to it. And so there is an account balance, there's an account 230,000 that we're talking about here. And if more money is taken out of that IRA at the insurance company, which is where it's being held to have this VA inside of it, most likely, uh, well, not necessarily, but um, it's got that in there. That is not annuitized, so it doesn't fall into that rule where they restrict the payment to being the RMD satisfier for just that account alone. So yes, he can do what he's talking about.
3: He can because he has an account balance. And remember I said, folks, it's just a quote-unquote withdrawal benefit. The insurance company is going to tell him how much the maximum. He can always take out less, but the maximum that they will let him take out and it 's going to be a based on a percentage of the higher of the four hundred thousand dollar mm-hmm. pretend account or his two hundred and thirty two thousand dollar actual account
2: and the reason why this makes sense is they're at first they 're just giving him back his two hundred and thirty thousand they 're allowing him they 're restricting how much of that he can take every year based on this formula that includes the pretend account. But at first, all they're doing is giving him back the money because it's just like withdrawing money from your IRA that has $230,000 in it. If you take out way more than the RMD for that account, that excess you take out can satisfy go to satisfying RMDs from other IRA balances that you might have. That's all that's going on here as long as there's an account balance.
3: Right. Now, he can take out more, and I don't want to get into it on this. If he does, it blows up his income benefit. So most people don't take out more. And Chris is right. They're only giving him his money. So let's just say his distribution is 5% of 400000 He's going to be taking out. $20,000 a year from a $232,000 account. Mm-hmm. Just as a withdrawal percentage of $232,000, I'm doing the math in my head, but that's going to be about, what, 8 8.5% eight or so of his account balance. Throw 3 to 3.5% three of fees on top of that that the insurance company is still taking out. His account balance is going to reach zero, probably during his lifetime. Yeah. And listener, don't freak out on that. That's right. fine. Yeah. That's why you have the annuity. That's why you kept it for 11 years, soon to be 12 years. That's why you've paid a lot in fees. You want it to reach zero while you're still alive. So don't freak out with what I'm saying, but just do the math in your head. 5%, if I'm correct, 5% of 400000 is about 8 8.5%. Eight I'm trying to do the math in it's my al- head. It's almost
2: 9%. Uh,
3: okay, 9 of- 9% of 232000 I know your fees on that variable annuity are close to 3 to 3.5%. So you're taking about 11% of your portfolio out every year. That's unsustainable. Good. That annuity will reach zero. That's fine. The insurance company has to keep paying you even if you live another 20 years. Now, last thing before we wrap up, uh-huh. When your annuity reaches zero, it is now an annuitized annuity. And prior to Secure 2, it could not be used to reduce RMDs on other non-annuity IRAs. Secure 2 allegedly has changed that effective next year. But we have no guidance. We have no understanding. Secure2 went to no length to explain how you could even figure out what the RMD of an account with no account balance is. Do not count on this happening anytime soon. I think I I just can't see how it's going to happen. And I don't even know if an annuity with a withdrawal benefit even suffices under Secure 2. Secure 2 was talking about an annuitized annuity inside a 401k. And now we're trying to apply it to IRAs. And there's all this uncertainty in Section 207 of Secure Act. And we keep telling people, because we get emails on this constantly, We don't know. Nobody knows. So for right now, listener, I would tell you, once your account balance reaches zero, those payments will not be able to be used to reduce the RMDs in your other IRAs. But as long as there is an account balance, yes, it can be used to reduce. The excess Mm -hmm. can be used to reduce the RMDs in other IRAs. Yeah, that's it.
2: Good. I think it was good. We talked about that because we talk about annuitized annuities all the time, as far as how the RMD treatment is. But it's been a while since we've talked about that, so I'm glad that was a good question for you to pull up. So,
3: yeah, um, thank you. And but, the Pepsi one was pretty cool. Yeah, Brad, yeah. Brad's drink.
2: <laughs> that's how I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna call it from here on out.
3: Um, <laughs> Brad's drink. <laughs>
2: yeah. So if you want to send in your own questions for consideration on the show here, the best way to do that is to email Jim directly. Jim at jimhelps.com is the email address and make sure in the subject line you put the indicate that it's a question for the podcast and uh, we'll do our best to get your topic covered on a future show. Maybe your specific email or at least one very similar to it. So uh, thank you for sending those in. Keep it up. Um, we have a nice pile, but we like to keep filling the pile as we as we answer questions in there, so don't hesitate. And you have the chance that we're going to answer a question that you sent in just minutes ago, if you happen to send it in during these recordings, which we don't announce when we do it because it's kind of flexible. But uh, as of today, we, we answered a question almost real time, kind of harkens back to the days where we take live call-ins during our radio show back eons ago. Uh, I don't expect to... Re, restart that process anytime soon but this i'd was like close to restart today. it though it was kind of fun to, It was kind of fun yeah
3: i want to restart that in the future when chris and i get a better handle on things and, and we can actually dedicate time to it and maybe have one or two of the juniors in the office trained mm-hmm. as well in case we can't make it uh because it does require us to always be there at the same time yeah um We could open it up where live calls could come in, but right now we can't do that, unfortunately. Right, right.
2: Okay. Um, Yeah,
3: perfect. Anything else from you? Great. You have a
2: good weekend and everyone else. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back with you next week with a brand new show.
1: You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salnier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier and Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jimhelps.com or call 970 530 0556
0: is offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.